a young married physician finds himself trapped in a cave below the sea. He was on a fishing trip when he was pulled under the waves. Held hostage, he's given the choice, live out his days in the cave, or take his captor back to his home in London. His kidnapper happens to be a beautiful blonde mermaid, and once in London, her appearance leads to a number of humorous events as several unmarried men fall in love with her. Today we're talking about the wonderful 1948 film from Britain called Miranda. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. The Dallas multipass. Well, hello there. Welcome to Celluloid Days, a podcast of film and film history. You know, we're in the month of May, and I, and I don't know if you know this, but May has five Mondays. And this messes up my whole schedule. Therefore, this week I thought, why not let Nancy Fry pick out a film for us to watch? Maybe something she enjoys that I have not yet seen. And she did just that. She picked out the 1948 black and white British comedy film, Miranda. The film was from the J. Arthur Rank Film Studios. Did I ever mention that I used to work for the Rank organization? Back in the late 70s, I was just out of high school with no interest in college, working at a venture department store. I was just happy getting a paycheck, playing in a rock and roll band, and going out on weekends drinking beer. There wasn't much concern about the future in my brain, I can tell you. A friend suggested that I apply for a job where he worked, a place called Bell & Howell. Now this was in the early days of home video, VHS and Beta, and Bell and Howell had a small division in the suburbs that created tapes of movies for some of the big studios. If you bought, let's say, a copy of Footloose on tape, well, it probably came from us. We had two main customers, Paramount and Columbia Pictures, and a bunch of smaller ones. My job with the company was to watch movies all night long as part of quality control. I was there a long time, and over the years, it went through many owners. Bell and Howell sold it to Paramount and Columbia, so for a while I worked for Paramount Columbia Pictures Video Services. And then, at one point, it was sold to the Rank Organization. And suddenly, a green silhouette of a man hitting a gong with a large mallet appeared everywhere. And that, my friends, is what led to me doing a podcast, but that's a story for another day. Let's just say that because of that job, I am now a production artist who specializes in Photoshop, photography, and video. I'm often amazed by all the twists and turns that got me to where I am today. But enough about me, I'm here to talk about Miranda from 1948. The film stars Glennis Johns, Googie Withers, Griffith Jones, Margaret Rutherford, John McCallum, and David Tomlinson. It was directed by Ken Anakin from a screenplay by Peter Blackmore, which he based on his own play. I'd never seen this film before, but when I started to watch it, my first thought was, this must have been a stage play first. 
Now, in general, I'm not one for a farce. You know, a film based on a general misunderstanding that could have been resolved if the characters would just sit down and talk about the situation. You know, one of those films with people coming and going and doors being slammed and people hiding a secret from another person, yet this person knows about the secret and all that craziness. And when I first started watching this movie, that's what I thought I was going to see. I was going to watch a farce in which a man, Dr. Paul Martin, played by Griffith Jones, will spend the whole time trying to hide this mermaid from his wife and friends. And that would lead to a series of scenes where he is mumbling and making excuses and such and picking her up and carrying her there. And it would wind up with this big blow up where it all comes out. And I can say, to my surprise, this film turned out not to be that. What really impressed me about the film was its lighthearted simplicity. A refreshing change of pace compared to most films that I see nowadays. And at a brisk 90 minutes, it was the perfect length for a film like this. And I mean, the film gets right to the point. The lead actor meets the mermaid three minutes into the film. In the movie Splash, how long does it take for Tom Hanks to get together with Daryl Hannah? Anyway... So this is the story of Dr. Paul Martin, who, while fishing, gets pulled down into the ocean by an impish mermaid, Miranda, played by the beautiful Glennis Johns. She takes him to her home, which is a cave beneath the sea. And she gives him a choice. He can stay down there forever, or take her to live with him and his wife in their home in London. But I'm going to keep you here. Unless... Unless what? You take me on land with you. On land? You? Yes, why not? I've always wanted to go, and this is my chance. You're a doctor. You can take me as your invalid patient. Oh, my tail. You can wrap it up. You will have to buy me some clothes. Some wonderful ones. Where does your wife get hers? Manel. So, of course, he picks London. Since he's a doctor, he pretends that he's helping her as she has a psychological problem that prevents her from walking. He lives in the home with his wife Claire, played by Googie Withers, and their servants. To help with the situation, he hires Nurse Carrie, played by the always delightful Margaret Rutherford. And to my surprise, Nurse Carrie quickly realizes that Miranda is a mermaid, and she doesn't have a problem with it. Miranda? This is Nurse Carey. Hello, Nurse. Have an oyster. Oh, the pretty thing. It's a mermaid. I've always believed in them. Oh, Doctor, this is delightful. And the thing about Miranda is, many men in the movie fall in love with her. There's the chauffeur, who's engaged to be married, and a painter who also has a girlfriend. Both of them plan on leaving their girlfriends for Miranda. And that's your basic plot. And again, it's, it's just so simple. You know, when I think of Splash, the Ron Howard film with Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah, Eugene Levy, and John Candy, Hanks meets the mermaid. But a crazy plot develops in which a scheming scientist, played by Levy, wants to expose her as a fishwoman. And this leads to a dramatic escape and chase ending. In Miranda, there's none of that. It's just a simple story of a mermaid and her effects on those around her, and I found it delightful. I expected a scene where a jealous wife storms out of the house thinking Paul is having an affair, 
then while yes, there's a little suspicion there, it's not like that at all. Now, here's the thing. There's no way I can talk about my feelings towards this film without spoiling the end, but I'm going to wait till after the break to do that. So I just, I just want to warn you, it's coming. The star of the film, Glennis Johns, was a South American-born British actress, dancer, musician, and singer. And as of this recording, she's still alive at the age of 98, the oldest living Academy Award nominee in any category. She was nominated for the Sundowners in 1960. She had a very long career that lasted from 1938 to 1999. Her last film was Superstar, the movie that starred Molly Shannon and Will Ferrell. And I must admit, I've never seen it before. If you're going to suggest a film for us to do on the show, you can not bother with that one. Thank you. Among her many credits was the part of Lady Penelope Peasoup on four episodes of the classic 1960s TV series, Batman. Witch Lady Peasoup. You know I wouldn't fight a female, even a small army of females. Spoken like a true gentleman, boy wonder. Stop gushing and just pick him up. We must get out of here. On her wiki page, it said she's known for the breathy quality of her husky voice and her upbeat persona. Watching this movie, I didn't get the husky voice part, but I did notice that in her later work. She's definitely cute and charming, and you can see why all the guys fall in love with her in the film. Griffith Jones plays the Doctor. He as well had a very long career, from 1932 to 1986, in English film, stage, and television. According to his wiki page, he was studying law at the University College of London when Kenneth Barnes the principal of the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, noticed him in a student performance and offered him a career as an actor. Now, to my shame, I'm not all that familiar with British films. I probably should be. But as far as Jones, I don't know much of his work. I did read that he was part of the Royal Shakespeare Company and appeared in 50 productions with the company between 1975 and 1999. Among the many people he acted with was Ian McKellen. So I'm thinking maybe if he took a part in something like, I don't know, the X-Men or one of those Hobbit films, I might have known him a little better. Googie Withers plays the wife, who's another beauty. She was a dancer and actress with a lengthy career that spanned nine decades in the theater, film, and television. Her real name is Georgette. Apparently, she was called Googie, which means little pigeon, at a young age by her Indian nanny, and she liked it. Again, I'm unfamiliar with her work, but she does have the letters CBE and AO after her name, so she must be important. CBE, according to Wiki, is the most excellent order of the British Empire and the British Order of Chivalry, rewarding contributions to the arts and science work with charitable and welfare organizations, and public services outside the civil service. An AO is the Order of Australia and is an honor that recognizes Australian citizens and other persons for outstanding achievements and service. So I guess she's a pretty good person. But all this goes to show that I don't know English actors all that well. My apologies to all those in the UK. One English actor I did know was Dame Margaret Rutherford, the actress of stage, television, and film. She's always marvelous, and like the other two, had a long career. I know her from the film Blith Spirit from 1945 and as Miss Marble in the 1960s series of Agatha Christie films. 
She also has a few letters after her name, OBE and DBE. OBE is the Officer of the Order of the British Empire, and DBE is Dame Commander. One thing I liked about her character, Nurse Carrie, is that when she first sees Miranda, she says she's a mermaid and doesn't have a problem with it. She's delighted. She also has this great line. Yes, dear. You've been married. Oh, yes, love. And when you were married, did you want to kill him? Oh, yes, dear. That's only normal. And, you know, I could probably do whole episodes on each one of these people, but who has the time, right? But I need to take a break from all my yakking for a few minutes, so why don't we find out what Nancy has to say about this movie? Hello, folks. First off, if you don't like this week's film, you can blame me, because it was my suggestion. Secondly, how could you not like the ethereal Glynis Johns as a mermaid? Even if the story, based on the stage play of the same name, weren't as witty and wry and glamorous as it is, it's still Glynis Johns as a mermaid. This was not my first mermaid movie. That honor goes to Mr. Peabody and the Mermaid, also released in 1948. Yeah, it seems like the film industry was already starting to do that. We're doing a movie about X, even though another studio is doing one, but ours is slightly different. And even so, we'll cash in on some of that sweet publicity. While Miranda is basically a Noel Coward-type British drawing room comedy with fantasy elements, Mr. Peabody and the Mermaid has a more breezy American feel. It makes sense since the actors are American and we're in the Bahamas instead of the UK. Anne Blythe is another mermaid who takes a fancy to a fisherman on holiday. Only, unlike Glynis Johns, Blythe's mermaid doesn't have a single line of dialogue. This makes her more mysterious and wild instead of worldly wise and witty. I saw this movie as a little kid on TV back in the late 60s in the heyday of movie studio moguls monetizing old film back catalogs by licensing them to TV affiliates. Because of this, I was raised on black and white films from the 30s through the 50s. Well, I'm sure some of them were in color, but we had a black and white TV until the mid-70s, so what do I know? These movies would run in the daytime, probably intended to entertain housewives doing their ironing, which was pretty much the case in our house. My mom wasn't a big movie watcher, but I would happily sit down and watch the movie du jour, which I'm sure kept me out from underfoot. Anyway, Mr. Peabody was the beginning of my fascination with mermaids. The grown-up, midlife crisis elements of the film went right over my head. I just loved that Mr. P accidentally catches a mermaid, brings her home to his palatial summer getaway house, and ensconces her in the mansion's ridiculously enormous fish pond. Seriously, the pond is 30 feet deep, if it's an inch, and even has an ornamental castle at the bottom. Now, the filmmakers did those underwater shots at Wikiwachi Springs in Florida, which has a mermaid show, which probably simplified things enormously since they could shoot through a giant glass window for the wide shots. Somehow, I never saw Miranda as a kid, even though it came out practically at the same time. Different studio, different license. 
Maybe TV stations thought there was too much sexual innuendo. I don't know. Years later, somebody gave me a book about mermaids, and one page was a beautiful black and white photo of a gorgeous mermaid sitting on a rock holding a baby mermaid. The caption said something like, Glynis Johns in Miranda, and I wanted to find that film. Sadly, this was years before home video and the internet, so it took me until just a few years ago to finally track it down. As far as mermaid movies go, the next decent one wasn't released until 1965, as far as I know. While it's not usually billed as a mermaid movie, Beach Blanket Bingo, produced during the peak of teen beach flicks, definitely qualifies. Mostly a vehicle to showcase pop songs and up-and-coming stars like Linda Evans, it also features Lost in Space's statuesque Marta Kristen as a mermaid named Lorelei, who saves hunky but simple Bonehead from a surfing accident. Of course, Bonehead falls in love with her. Who wouldn't? Unlike Miranda, this movie introduces the trope of mermaids being able to change their tails for legs when on land, which is super convenient plot-wise. Like so many classic films, I saw this on TV with my parents sometime in the late 60s, probably on a Friday or Saturday night. It made a big impression on me. After that, I don't think there was a really decent mermaid movie until 1984 with Ron Howard's Splash. This one I actually saw in the theater, starring Tom Hanks, John Candy, and Daryl Hannah as the mermaid who inspired thousands of moms to name their babies Madison in the 80s. Hannah had creeped me out as an emo murderous replicant in 1982's Blade Runner, so it was fun to see her in a romantic comedy. Siskel and Ebert poo-pooed this movie when it came out, but then they also panned the World War I buddy adventure Gallipoli, so they weren't always to be trusted, in my opinion. This is a family-friendly movie that has romance, adventure, and a cool mermaid. And Tom Hanks is his usual deadpan hilarious self. I give it two thumbs up. Take that, Gene and Roger. Miranda, this week's film, can be a little hard to find. If your local library doesn't have it, you'll have to look, uh, elsewhere. Because it's not streaming anywhere, and it's not even on the Internet Archive. You can find low-res versions on YouTube, but it's a really beautiful film, so I hope you can find a good copy somewhere. This film came out just after World War II was mostly wrapped up. And people wanted light comedy, especially in England, where it took years to recover from the war. Heck, there was food rationing there into the 50s, I believe. It's basically an aquatic-themed Noel Coward play, only instead of a parade of jaded socialites, we get a protagonist who just loves everybody, especially if you're male, and is genuinely interested in everybody. My second favorite character is the nurse, played by the indomitable Margaret Rutherford, who takes Miranda under her wing and is just delighted that she's a mermaid. Now, there's a sequel released in 1954, and this one's in color. I expected Mad About Men to be a thin knockoff, but I was pleasantly surprised. Written by the same team, 
It's more of a screwball comedy with unlikely plot points and wacky set pieces, but it's a good film that stands on its own merits. This time, Glynis Johns plays two roles, Miranda and a distant relative. We get a zany mermaid gal pal, and Margaret Rutherford is back as Nurse Carrie. Bonus! Location work in Cornwall in a couple of charming seaside villages. Like Miranda, Mad About Man is hard to find. As I write this, there's really only a low-res version on YouTube and on the Internet Archive. I couldn't even find a copy <clears throat> elsewhere, which is sad. Like Miranda, the sequel also features beautiful tales made by the Dunlop Tire Company and some very believable swimming from the two mermaids. Both movies really make you believe you're seeing the real deal, which is amazing for the time. At any rate, I think these films are just about the most fun you can have without actually getting in the water. Thanks, Nancy. And um, I apologize to the listeners out there if me and Nancy repeat some of the same things. It's uh, We record separately and... Uh, Sometimes we talk about the same things, but that's okay. Um, you mentioned Siskel and Ebert and their trashing of Splash. I watched their review on uh, YouTube. It's on there. You can see that. And I actually watched it last week because it's on the same episode as Liquid Sky, believe it or not. And, you know, I, I'm a fan of Roger Ebert's reviews, not so much Gene Siskel, but sometimes they both get into the mode of, this is the movie we wanted to see. And because it's not the movie we wanted to see or were hoping to see, we're going to trash it. And in a lot of ways, I find that sort of a backwards way to do reviews. I believe in watching a movie for what it is and then asking myself when it's over, did I enjoy it or didn't I enjoy it? Anyway, thanks, Nancy. It's always wonderful to hear you. And thank you for recommending this film. Well, Miranda didn't have any clothes. I take it she was running around naked down there. You know Miranda can't run. Well, if you ask me, there's something very fishy about this case. Claire. So there's a scene that really made me laugh, and I'm not really sure if it was supposed to. The wife, Claire, sees an ad in a magazine that features a mermaid. Then she goes to the dictionary to look up the word mermaid. M. M E. M E R. Mermaid. A mythical creature, half woman, half fish. It made me laugh because, well, these days, I don't think anybody would ever have to go to a dictionary to look up mermaid. I'm assuming that things were different in 1948 England. Maybe mermaids weren't as popular. In fact, I read somewhere that this was the first film ever to feature a mermaid. But anyway, this led to one of my favorite scenes, and it's where the wife realizes that Miranda is a mermaid. What are you doing? Oh, only the crossword. But you hate them. Oh, just killing time, you know. Unfortunately, I've got stuck. What do you want to know? A seven-letter word beginning with M. A creature of the species, manatee. Manatee. All it says here is an aquatic mammal, a mythical creature, half woman, half fish, a sea cow. Sea cow? Miranda. She knows. She's been spying on me. You're not going to call me a sea cow and get away with it. Then you really are. Yes. Miranda is a mermaid. But if you think you're going to take a peek at my tail, you're very much mistaken. Am I awake? 
No, she thinks I'm a nightmare. What I really liked is the gentleness of the scene. It isn't a big blow-up with a lot of yelling and you lied to me and the wife seems to get it. I mean, she's shocked, but she's cool with it. If anything, it's Miranda that's more troubled by her realization. Within seconds, they're talking like, well, old friends. They respect each other. And now, for everybody out there, I'm going to spoil the ending, but this movie is more than 75 years old, so if you don't want me to spoil it, shut this off for about three or four minutes and then turn it back on. The end is just Miranda well leaving. She overhears that Claire thinks that the discovery of a mermaid should be made public. So Miranda sneaks out of the house and jumps in the water, which can take her to the sea. As she's doing this, Paul and Clara quickly chase after, but it's too late. And as they walk away, Claire and Paul wonder why Miranda always said she wanted to go to Majorca for a visit. Poor Miranda. She'll be happy, basking in the sunshine of Majorca. Oh yes, Majorca. I wonder why she said she wanted to be somewhere lovely in May. I wonder. And this is something I didn't get either, because they cut to Miranda who's sitting on a rock holding a mer-baby. Was Majorca the place you go to to have a baby? Was she pregnant the whole time and needed to get there for her unborn child? Or are we to think that one of the men that she was with that thought they were in love with her is actually the father? I didn't get that. I'm not sure. Assuming mermaids exist, can they have sex with a human man? There's so many questions that need to be answered with this end, I don't know. Now the director of the film was Ken Anakin, who had a long career as a director, beginning in the 1940s and ending in 1988. Besides Miranda, he directed such films as Those Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines, Battle of the Bulge, The Biggest Bundle of Them All, and Monte Carlo or Bust. His last two films were The Pirate Movie in 1982 starring Christy McNichol and Christopher Atkins and The Dreadful The New Adventures of Pippi Longstocking from 1988. But let's not judge him on his last two films. He did have quite the amazing career. I did a little research on the making of this film, but unfortunately I didn't find a lot. I did read that all the underwater scenes were filmed in a 40,000-gallon fish tank and it was filled with one giant starfish, two tons of beach pebbles, 300 carp, four truckloads of seaweed, two crates of fossils, one truck of assorted seashells, and so on. And her tail was made by the Dunlap Rubber Company. The film was rushed into production because they learned that Universal Pictures was making their own mermaid film called Mr. Peabody and the Mermaid. Now, the only place that I could find to watch Miranda was on YouTube, and when I searched right below it, Mr. Peabody and the Mermaid showed up, so I watched that as well. Mr. Peabody was a bit more of a farce than Miranda, yet I enjoyed it as well. And although both films are black and white comedies, they both have an entirely different vibe. I couldn't help but like Mr. Peabody because, well, it stars William Powell, and Powell is always delightful. And it also stars the beautiful Anne Blythe as the mermaid. Another mermaid in media came to mind, and that's Miss Minerva from the 1960s TV show Diver Dan. 
If you're not familiar with Diver Dan, it was a series of 104 seven-minute live-action shorts that was shot through a fish tank to make it look like it was underwater. Miss Minerva was a beautiful blonde mermaid. It did have a catchy theme song, however. Below in the deep there's adventure and danger. That's where you'll find Diver Dan. The sights that he sees are surprising and stranger than ever you'll see on the land. But back to Miranda. It was one of the most popular movies at the British box office in 1948. That, according to Wikipedia. I couldn't find any information verifying that, so I will assume it's true. And you know, this delightful comedy is, well, not too English for American audiences. It's one of those movies that you could put on when you need something light to laugh at, without having to think too much. If you're human, well, it should bring a smile to your face. There are a few moments that probably wouldn't have passed the Hays Code in America. There's a scene with skinny dipping, and there's talk of Miranda not wearing panties. And there's another thing about her which isn't quite nice. She, she never wears any panties. Never wears panties? No. Plenty of other underclothes she has, but not a single pair of those. I think there's something fishy about Miss Truella. But now it's time to find out what others thought, and for that... Let's go to Rotten Tomatoes. The film gets a 61% audience score, which was way too low if you ask me. Fred H. gave it 4 out of 5 stars, and he wrote, As a child, I love seeing this cute British comedy about a lovely mermaid who charms all the men who she comes in contact. Later, Glennis Johns and David Tomlinson would star in another charming movie, Disney's Mary Poppins. Both were favorites. And Greg W. gave it two and a half stars and wrote, A charming bit of fluff, thanks to the efforts of an accomplished British cast. In 1954, there was a sequel called Mad About Men, written by Peter Blackmore, who wrote the original play and film Miranda. It again stars Glennis Johns, and the only other cast member to return was Margaret Rutherford as Nurse Carey. This film is in glorious Technicolor, though I have to admit I've never seen that as well. And now for something a little different, I thought I'd look up to find out what the reviews were like back in the day. This is from a UK newspaper called the London Sunday Victorial from May 2nd, 1948. Miranda, Gainsborough's amiable, lively comedy, has been chosen as Victoria's April film of the month. It is a light story of a mermaid who gatecrashes London society, leaves a trail of broken hearts in her wake, and generally plays havoc around town. Nonsense? Yes, but highly agreeable nonsense. The film has been chosen because we believe, at the moment, British films need a more light-hearted touch, and Miranda has brightly pointed the way. It is clean entertainment which never fails to amuse, and at times, reaches uproarious funny heights. Miranda adds to Ken Atkinson's growing reputation as a deft, intelligent director, and Glennis Johns as Miranda shows herself as a charming comedian. Margaret Rutherford's comedy nurse and David Tomlinson as a bashful chauffeur are highlighted around which Googie Withers, Griffith Jones, John McCollum, Sonia Holmes, and Yvonne Owen shine. 
The film moves wittily and smoothly and is good off-the-beaten-track comedy entertainment. I agree with all of that, and I think the film still holds up pretty well today. So I'd like to thank Nancy for suggesting the film. It was definitely a fantastic change of pace. So, to all of you out there, I highly recommend that you give Miranda from 1948 a watch. How could you be hurt? I mean, no one even came near you. Shuriken wound. It's a small spike wheel in the small of my back. Keeps reopening. We better stay out of the emergency room so the sheriff gets tired of watching him. Better get off this road, too. Find some place else. You're home? <laughs> You're traveling in it, Jack. Someplace better. Oh, a little bit before I go. You know, I might have sounded a little down on the Ron Howard film Splash. The truth is, I actually enjoyed the film. Though I have to admit, I've not seen it since it came out. And Nancy, yes, I saw that in theaters as well. I just wanted to point out it was nice to see a film that didn't end in a chase. Another film I didn't talk about when it comes to mermaids was, of course, Walt Disney's The Little Mermaid. I guess I liked the film. The songs were catchy and whatnot. And it came out when my daughter was young. So I've seen it again and again and again. And I do have fond memories of her watching the movie. I heard that Disney's coming out with a live-action version next year. I don't know why they keep recycling their properties like this. You know, Dumbo, The Lion King, and such. Actually, I do understand, because if it's one thing about Disney, they'll milk everything they own for every penny it's worth. It won't be long, folks, before Disney controls all media. But anyway, that's a story for another day. Next week, we're going back to a Mystery Science Theater episode. We're going to talk about Master Ninja 1 which is a film that, in reality, isn't a film, but two episodes of a failed 1980s TV show starring Lee Van Cleef and Timothy Van Patten. Now listen up, we have a Facebook page. We would love to read your comments on it. It's called Celluloid Days. Please join us. Also, I have a Twitter account. It's at celluloid underscore days. I like to tweet out anniversaries of films or births of famous actors, so if that appeals to you, follow me on Twitter. And of course, I'm always looking for film suggestions. The more strange and unusual, the better. The email address for the show is daysofcelluloid at gmail.com. Days of Celluloid is all one word. Feel free to email me for any reason. Hey, just to say hi will be okay. And if you could leave me a review, hopefully a good one, wherever you stream this podcast, I'd be forever grateful. Thanks, Nancy, one last time for suggesting this movie, and uh, thank you for listening. Take care, and we'll be back next Friday with Master Ninja. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They had 500 years of democracy and peace, and what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas Multipass. Multi-pest. Uh, multi-pest. You know it's multi-pest. Your stupid minds! Stupid! Stupid! The High Court may well sentence you to torture! Can you play the piano? I'm 